This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry Hey everybody, it's another Forever Mighty postgame show. Pat and Eddie here to break down the Ducks. Three to one loss last night in Boston. What a horrible showing from Anaheim here tonight, Eddie. That that game was probably just as brutal as the day as the game before against the Rangers, if not worse. Yeah, this this is what you want to wake up and, and talk about is uh, <laughs> not only a loss. Uh, I mean, it was against a good team, but a loss and then a boring game where the Ducks really didn't show anything. I mean, at least they. They picked up a goal, and it meant something, sort of, obviously for Josh Mahara. But, yeah, it was uh, not a fun one to watch, and it's been two kind of regress games for the Ducks where they've gone back to what we saw earlier in the season where they couldn't put the puck in the back of the net whatsoever. I mean, you say the Bruins are a really good team, but the Ducks literally had, I think, one uh, what was it? Like one more loss than they did. It, it, this, they yeah. had pretty much the same wins losses and they pretty much had the same amount of points uh, the Bruins are top heavy they had injuries so I don't know I don't think the Bruins are as good as everyone's giving them credit for I think the Pasternak Bergeron and Marshan line is insane but after you get beyond that this is a team the Ducks pretty much should have beat last night and just didn't show up to play yet again it was a brutal showing for the Ducks it's one of those those teams that you play, and, uh, and I think it's probably the most top-heavy team in the entire league. I was looking at the stats before the Ducks played them, and I think it was only Pasternak, Marshan, Bergeron, uh, uh, Bergeron, geez, Bergeron, Bergeron, and Krejci uh, had, were the only forwards that had more than 10 points except Jake DeBrusque, who had uh, 12 and so, and then everybody else was under ten. And then obviously on defense it was Tori Krug, who had, was the only one over ten for defense. But yeah, they are probably the most top-heavy team amongst everybody. And even despite not having Bergeron, they seem to have just plugged David Krejci in there, and it really hasn't changed anything. Pasternak and Marshan were pretty much. I think they were in on every goal last night, or pretty much. I mean, they were involved in every play. The power play was deadly because of them. If that line doesn't go the whole team doesn't go. So I, I can see that's probably why their record is represented as such. 
I mean, Pasternak and Marchand assisted each on Krejci's and Krug's goal. And then Pasternak, of course, scored the first goal. So, yeah, the usual suspects as you go around. And Krug even assisted on Pasternak's uh, goal in the, in the beginning on actually a great play. But uh, it's... <laughs> I love the broadcast and all the notes that come out. Like, as if any of this shit even matters before the game when they say things like... Yeah. Um, Rask has a one six and one record against the Ducks. Uh, Anaheim is one nine straight against Boston. Only one, Anaheim is one of only four teams that hold an overall better record head to head against Boston. And it's like that's supposed to mean anything going into it means the game. Nothing. It's like it doesn't mean anything. Every game is a roll of the dice in this league nowadays. I mean, any team could come out and blow up any other team in the league. I feel like uh, it, it just I don't know. So then they start Halak. Halak had to make some good saves in this game. I, I, it wasn't like the Ducks kept him completely out of the game, or you know what I mean. They actually put some pucks yeah. on net, but I mean he had one brilliant save in the game, which we can get to here. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you lead off on this one to break down the periods here. I saw pieces of the game. I wasn't able to watch the game in full, but I have <laughs> thoroughly seen enough to know uh, how well the yeah. Ducks played. Well, as you can tell by the fact we're doing a show uh, the next morning, it's most of us missed the game yesterday. But uh, it, it it was a game that I guess that you could say if you're gonna miss one, just like the Rangers game, you picked a good one to miss because it wasn't uh, it wasn't that great. First period, relatively, I guess a carbon copy of the Rangers game where not much was going on. There was multiple shifts for Boston in the duck zone to start the game off, which we kind of expected. Boston generally is a, a pretty good possession team. Uh, and then Boston's top line getting into the game. Ducks just seem to be unable to handle that line, even without uh, Patrice Bergeron in the lineup. Like I said, David Krejci just kind of blended into that top line, and it was really working out for them. Ducks get a couple chances. Sprong with some speed gets a tight chance. Nice to see him kind of showing that speed and awareness. He's been great since coming into the lineup. I mean, not maybe on the score sheet every night, but he's had two pretty big games. And he looks dangerous, kind of similar to you know, how Andre Kasha looks when every night he just kind of looks like he's going to get something done. Yeah, no, I, I definitely has looked good coming back into the lineup. But, um, you know, unfortunately, it's it's just in this first period, like you said, they didn't – it wasn't a back-to-back. They had, they had days off in between games. You would expect a more energetic yeah. team coming into Boston, especially with Boston being a wounded team. Uh, you could point to players that have looked good in the lineup here and there, but I mean the execution's just not there all of a sudden. And this is why I was so so cautious into not wanting to golf clap Randy Carlisle and give him all the all the uh, the big ups here. That you know he's the one who's changed the way this team's been playing. Teams are streaky, uh, and and things happen in this league that you know. Um, are unexplainable. Like remember, Columbus went on that insane run. Was it a season or two ago? And I mean, Philly went yeah. on that insane run, but it, it can all flip so quick. And you just can't come into Boston here and, and and not generate any scoring chances. It just it's brutal. I don't know if you saw like the actual chances for and against in this game. They just weren't good. The Ducks just no. looked absolutely terrible um, in each and every period. I feel like I mean they were outchanced in the first eleven to four. And it's just not a good look for the Ducks. I'm not sure what has changed in between the Pittsburgh game and the last two. Sure, it could be a small sample size, and they come back here on Saturday and play well against Buffalo, but uh, that's yet to be seen. 
Yeah, it, it's kind of back-to-back games where the Ducks just haven't generated a lot of scoring chances, and it, they've been pretty much at the mercy of the, the other teams. Uh, with 20 seconds to go, the, I guess the real big chance for either team happened in the first period where Nordstrom feed Colby Cave off a two-on-one. Not the two guys I guess you expect. Who? But John Gibson <laughs> makes uh, an, an excellent toe save, which uh, is something you do expect from the Ducks. Uh, he stretches across, gets just a piece of it with his pad. Big play at the time. I mean, you're you're going into the, the, the intermission tied at zero. If Boston gets a goal there, uh, it's a huge advantage for them going into the second period, especially when you're in their home arena. So a great save by John Gibson. Yeah, Gibby's had to stand on his head, and he's still getting that national media spotlight right now. People coming out and talking about his micro stats. You're looking yeah. at goals saved above average, uh, which we kind of talked about a bit. Um and it's it's nice to see him getting the recognition, but it, it also just goes to show you how well he's been playing compared to his team. So another great save yeah. there by John Gibson. Yeah, and that pretty much brought an end to the first period. Shots were 8-7 Boston. Uh, that kind of is, is typical for what type of period it was. Just not a ton of chances other than really Colby Cave's cross-crease chance in the first period. Ducks didn't really get anything going. They had two power plays, zero shots, which is... Uh, really what we've kind of seen from their power play lately it hasn't been good but um, that takes us into the second period where you know we're talking about how the Ducks power play hasn't been good uh, the Bruins has been the complete opposite and the puck movement that they have on this power play uh, the two power play goals they get in this period I mean it, it's just ridiculous I mean the, the, the first one is for David Pasternak he scores off a, a spin pass from Tory Krug uh, it's great uh, puck move from the Bruins on the power play. Pasternak basically has a wide open net to throw it into. John Gibson almost gets there, uh, but it squeaks under the blocker and above the pad. Uh, but that's that's an easy one for Pasternak. And, and the way he's scoring goals this year, he's got 22 now. He's not missing that one. So that's the difference in this game, and largely the difference in last or the last game against the Rangers. The Ducks, the Ducks special teams are horrible. They're absolutely horrible. How how do you how does every team in the league run their systems? Pretty close to the same. Everybody knows what's successful. Yeah. Everybody knows how to work a power play. Why wouldn't you just mimic those power plays? Even if you don't have the the elite player to slot in in that position, I mean, nine out of ten times, it's probably going to look better than what you're going to put together on your own trying to figure this out. Why do I feel like the Ducks keep trying to reinvent the wheel? on their special teams, they just can't get them clicking. Because if this Bruins power play can move around like this, if they can move around like three-fourths as good as as the Bruins did, the Ducks probably would have potted a power play goal last night. And what a play there, from honestly, from Tory Krug. That pass over to Pasternak, and then Pasternak all in one motion. There's nothing John Gibson's going to be able to do at that point. Yet he almost did. And, and unfortunately, yeah. the Ducks find themselves down one nothing there in the second period. I feel like the Ducks do have the personnel to maybe not accurately copy that type of power play, but they should be able to execute like that. I, I mean, you put a guy like Ricardo Raquel or even, you know, Pontus Aberg lately or Andre Kasha down in that spot that Pasternak's in to get those one-timers, and then you put somebody on the left side. You know, for the Bruins, it's Pasternak on, on the left to get one-timers, Tori Krug on the right to get one-timers on his good side. They've got David Backus in front of the net. Because I mean that makes sense. He's a big body. Normally it's it's Bergeron, but it's uh, Bacchus there. And then at the point, uh, it mixes it up. Sometimes they have uh, Brad Marchand is usually up there with another defenseman. Sometimes they have another forward. But it, really, they've got their three best players out there, and they've got two uh, guys set up for one timers. 
and they're just feeding those cross crease passes. And you see it on the goal from the second goal from the Bruins as well. Uh, Marshawn feeds Krug back door with a great pass, and Krug just one times it into an open out on the opposite side. If they get you, if they don't get you on the one side, they're going to get you on the other side. And again, it, it's these cross crease passes that we see on occasion from Anaheim. But you see on like a nightly basis from a team like Boston, especially that first power play. You know, they, these guys just play so well together; they know where to find each other. Yeah, I mean, but why? I agree with you. Why not mimic the best power plays? I mean, even if you look at look at, at uh, the Washington Capitals, I've had this argument with people before. Um, I, I'm like, hey, everybody knows Alexander Ovechkin is going to sit in the left faceoff dot always. He doesn't yeah. move. He goes to that dot. He if, even if he starts on the other side uh, for some reason off a faceoff, he eventually finds his way over to that dot, and he's just ripping one timers all day. Does he score on every power play? No. Is he dangerous every time he's out there? Pretty much. Um, and then the argument against me is like, well, we don't have Alexander Ovechkin. How is that? A, how is that a proper comparison? <laughs> it was. Getting a shot on net from that point is a deadly point. If you have a guy that can shoot the puck like Ricard Raquel, like Ryan Getzloff, like Andre Kasha, like Jacob Silverberg even, you're going to generate chances and rebounds off the power play. The Ducks just don't seem to want to do that. Why not even Brandon Montour? You and I have talked about this now for two seasons. Why is he not the trigger man on the power play there in the same roaming circle area that Alexander Ovechkin is? Why do I feel like it's just it's just never going to click here with Anaheim? They just can't seem to put it together on the power play. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like a good setup, if you want to overload that top unit when Ricard Raquel comes back up, what you do is is you, you, you get your two probably deadly point guys. It's not the best setup because you don't have a lefty, but you put Brandon Montour out there with Getzlaff at the point. You've got two guys who can move the puck. You've got two guys who can definitely one-time the puck from the point and, and get a good scoring chance because they both they probably have two of the best shots from the blue line on the team. Then you put Ricard Raquel or Andre Cash or whoever you want down in that Ovechkin-type slot. And then you put uh, whoever, you, again, uh, whoever you want on that left side. The Ducks have a lot of right-handed players, so it's a little bit difficult to mm-hmm. kind of move some guys around and have that one-timer on the left side. So maybe that's where you end up having two righties. And I think that could be difficult because the reason I think Boston's power play is so successful is, of course, they have the skilled guys, but they've got the both options on either side. They have Pasternak with the right-hand shot on the left side. That's a one-timer. They've got Tory Krug if they want to throw him and pinch down on the right side. They've got Brad Marchand who can go down there who scored one-timers from that spot. They often have Ryan Donato who can score one-timers from that slot. And they've got David Backus, who's a righty, who will get shots from the middle of the ice. So they've got all these different options for one-timers. Meanwhile, the Ducks generally put three or four right-handed shots out there on on the power play, and then you're only basically able to set up for one-timers from one side of the ice. So uh, I I can kind of see it. And and even on the Ducks, they didn't have a a power play chance in this period, but on a chance where Montour does get a cross-ice pass from Getzlaff, He's on the right side of the ice. He can't one-time it. He takes it in stride, kind of just shovels it on that because that's really all you can do when you're getting a one-timer onto your forehand. Uh, Halak makes a great save. He makes a great diving glove save. But that's where you benefit from having a guy on that right side who's a left-handed shot who can just power it home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Brandon Montour did get a great shot on that, and Halak made that glove. But, uh, I mean, the Ducks had – they went 0 for 4 on the power play. Uh, I think mm-hmm. another part of it – that uh, in this game that we just watched them struggle is the stat sheet says they had 20 giveaways last night. How are you going to be competitive in a game 
when you're just giving the puck away. I just, yeah. I, I'm not sure what happens. I hope this is a one-off or I guess a two-off because uh, of what we're talking about with the Rangers the other night. But uh, taking a look at, at the game last night, it, it's just the, it's the specialty teams that honestly were the were the the, the, nail, the last nail in the coffin both nights. Yeah, I think it was specialty teams, and uh, Halak was really good in this game. You know, when he Ducks had to be. Do, when he had to be. Yeah. Yeah, the Ducks didn't do too much, but the A-plus scoring chances they did have, Halak made a couple of great saves. So it's tough to just – I think it was a better effort than New York because in New York they really didn't do anything. Georgia didn't really have to make any saves. I think, what, the Ducks finished with 15 or 16 shots in that game. And was one in the third period. Yeah. Yeah. One in the third, yeah. It wasn't much better. In this one, but you can uh, kind of pick out what was wrong. You can they had nine that, more you know, shots gave, in the third. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, like you gave them, you can pick out what was wrong more. I think more easily. It's like okay, well, they gave Boston two power plays. You gave a deadly a deadly power play. Too many opportunities. They hurt you. Those are the the two main goals on this one. Krejci's goal in the third period, the one timer. I mean. It's from far out. I don't think you're going to blame John Gibson. It was a bullet of a shot. Nobody's really stopping that perfectly placed, so you can't really blame him for that. But then, yeah, I mean, the, the Ducks' opportunities they had, uh, most of them were stopped by Halak, and they didn't really get too many opportunities after that. And, and the only goal they score off of is Carter Round and a face-up back to Mahura, who kind of just throws a puck on net through a screen. So it, it's... At that point, it's like you know kind of went went wrong, so you're hoping, like you said, it's a one-off. Uh, but we'll have to see because it's been two back-to-back games where the Ducks' offense just has pretty much disappeared. Yeah. I mean, and it's like uh, <laughs> it's a good thing they're going into Buffalo, which can't score goals, right? <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> Jeff Skinner alone, and now Jack Eichel's starting to get hot, so that's going to be fun. No, that team's going to be scary for sure. Um, kind of looking at this game a little bit, deeper i guess it's just something that uh they need to figure out how to get the wheels moving because it just looks like the effort's not there right i want to say the effort between pittsburgh and the last two games just isn't it's not the same ducks team they don't look the same to me so maybe it's just a couple of bad games um you're looking at the stat sheets here they were out chance sure uh my boy hampus had another tough game last night so that's that makes it a couple weeks now where uh, he hasn't looked like himself. Um, it's hard to find somebody on the stat sheet that's actually standing out, uh, unless you're Andre Kasha. <laughs> that's yeah, that's the guy. Pretty much. Um, yeah. And I finally won my bet, Ryan Kessler. Oh yeah, yeah. One I for thirty. About that. One for thirty. To, to make it worse, he doesn't get, and he looked invisible in this game. I mean, he didn't really do too much. I guess five on five for the most part. That uh, Pasternak, Marchand, and Krejci line didn't do too much. Obviously, Krejci gets uh, the only five on five goal for the Bruins in the game. But yeah, they didn't do too much, which I mean, we kind of expected. I was hoping Kessler, because he's getting power play time, maybe would just cash in one of these chances, just kind of get a, a stick on something. But yeah, it, it's going to be uh, how many games does he go now? How many more games does he go without uh, without even getting a point, let alone a goal? What's he at right now? Let's see. This sucks, dude, because I like him. It's such a bummer the way things have worked out for him. Let's go. Ryan yeah, well, Kessler. it's like what, one in the last 30, and I think he has four goals on the season. I'll count it's the not, games uh, here. It's not pretty, and it has no signs of getting any better. He has nine. Left? He has one point in nine games, and that's the first. He has one point in December. 
It was against uh, against Washington. He had an assist. Before that, he didn't have a point until he scored a goal against the Kings November 6th. Jeez. And he only had one point in November and one point in December. So far. Yeah, that's... Uh... And and that's probably not going to get any better. There's only what four games left in December. One, two. So they've got the one on Saturday, and I think they have three after Christmas. So it's not uh, it's not going to get any easier for him to get a point. He might go and finish the the, the entire month with one point. That's back to back months with one point. Uh, making the case for buyout a little bit easier, that's... maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I guess you could point to other culprits that aren't playing well either. I mean, how about Andrew Cogliano? I mean, Andrew Cogliano's not really doing a lot these yeah. days either offensively um, when the Ducks need that secondary scoring. You're so also there's, not paying him like $7 million, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. Something about that, right? There's a little something about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Ryan Kessler. You want, I wanted you to prove me wrong, man. I really, I know he listens to the show, so he'll be like, damn it, Patrick, you were right. Oh, yeah. I, I, mean, I can't believe that you think I would get one goal in 30 games. So... A tough go, yeah, man. Come out and score a hat trick in the next game now, <laughs> just to prove you're wrong. Let's. Uh, uh, well, I want to get to one thing because Josh Maher, we kind of passed over, but he does get his first NHL goal. Um, he's looked pretty good since coming up, right? He, he's been a decent replacement uh, once since Cam Fowler's been out. He hasn't really done anything wrong. Uh, nice to see him finally get on the board. He's had his chances here or there. Probably not the prettiest goal because he does just whip it on that through a massive screen and it finds its way in, but you'll take it. I mean, that's the only positive from this game other than John Gibson having a pretty good night is Josh Maher finally gets one, which is nice for him because once Cam Fowler comes down, uh, back, we kind of expect him to get sent back down. Yeah, no, it was a good – it was a uh, you know just a seeing-eye shot from Josh Maher, but like you said, you take those when you can get them. And, I mean, clearly he's it's he was well-deserved of that. He's had his chances since coming up. Um, I mean, you and I have highlighted smart plays that he's made on the defensive side of the puck throughout his time so far this season, right? I mean, picks his head up, takes a look around, then makes the make, makes the you know the correct play rather than just racking it off the glass uh, like a BXer or whatever you want to say about a guy who just doesn't have it anymore. I mean, Josh Mahara looks like he is definitely going to make a name for himself on this in this Ducks lineup at least. Um, and I, I I don't know, man. I feel like he's a good player. He's he's a young kid. And uh, he's probably going to be sent down and probably be the best thing for him. I mean, Cam Fowler is obviously a much better hockey player at this point in his career. But, uh, yeah, no, good on Josh Beher, man. It was nice to see him get one. That was his uh, – he's played 11 games, so he's got a goal. Good for him, man. Yeah, I, I think they're, they're going to play him probably like uh, they did with Shea Theodore, where they're giving up some time because of some injuries, um, and then he'll get sent back down, be able to finish the season in San Diego if the Ducks can somehow – not sustain any more injuries to their blue line, mm. but we we saw Brandon Montour leave uh, yesterday. I don't know if he returned because it was near the end of the game. He ran into the open boards. Ooh. And somebody somebody opened yeah. the, uh, the the bench, and uh, he either hit his knee or his thigh. I think it was his I'm hip. Hoping, I'm hoping it was his thigh, and he just bruised his leg. You know, you, when he ran into something, he was just because he was struggling. He was limping a bit going to the, the locker room. So I'm hoping it's just like a thigh bruise, and he just it just hurt more in the moment, and then it's gotten better. But it could be a knee, it could be a hip, and like if you're hitting it right on the top of the boards, that's gonna hurt, and that could injure him. I, I, we'll find an update maybe today, maybe not until tomorrow when the Ducks uh, practice before the game. 
I hope we get something, man. Because not only that, but Sprong got hit, went to the locker room too. So not only did Montour go out to the locker room, Daniel Sprong went to the locker room. You know, probably get updates on both of those guys either today or tomorrow. Just the Ducks' luck that they enter a game against another team who's dealt with injury problems and they lose two guys, potentially. Yeah, I didn't really see anything. Was there anything in the post game from the Ducks about those hits? About like uh, like updating for injuries? Yeah, like I'm gonna go look through Elliot Tiford's thing. I went to Twitter. I last night I checked. I didn't see it. Um, well, you know it's not coming out on the Ducks Twitter, so you'll have to find somebody else. And I don't think Eric Stevens was even tweeting last night, but um, I don't think there was anything. No, they didn't even mention it on Ducks Twitter. But that's not surprising. If usually we hear any of our updates through. Um, Eric Stevens or Elliot Tiford anyway when it comes to injuries because the Ducks are usually the last ones on board to be able to tweet anything out. Mm-hmm. But, man, man, that would just right now. Brand, I mean, obviously losing Daniel Sprong would be huge, but losing Brandon Montour the way he's been playing, um, that would be just a massive loss to the Ducks because not only do you lose his offense, but you lose the partnership that he's had with uh, Hampus Lindholm so far, and that's been the Ducks' strongest pairing. So losing... Losing that at this point, with Cam Fowler still out, then you've got to probably bring Andre Schuster back into the lineup, who's been a, a scratch the last few games. And you're looking at, what, Lindholm back with Manson? Yeah. And that's the only way to force Lindholm back with Manson? Or you just play, <laughs> you had to move Dodgson up with Manson? Or, or no. with Lindholm, I mean? No, maybe no. Schuster with Lindholm? You know they would do that. You know they would move Lindholm with Schuster instead of bringing Manson up with him no. and having one. Can we not talk right. about things that make me sad on a Friday morning? Like, my yeah. my vacation is right now. The last thing I want to think about is them pairing an anchor with Hampus Lindholm again when he finally got away from his anchor. So, yeah, no. I mean, this Montour and Lindholm pairing is done. Like I said, they started to come around and I mean, they were playing well for a stretch there. So, off and on. But uh, didn't Brandon Montour come back after taking that hip hit? He might have. I don't. I don't exactly remember if he came back because it was late in the game, and uh, I didn't see if he came back whatsoever. And he can't really check his ice time to confirm that because it was, I think, with a couple minutes remaining in the third period. So it's not like his ice time really suffered. He still played twenty four minutes that night. So right, right. He might have come back. Um, I'll have to double check, but I, I didn't see, you know, I saw a tweet saying he went to the locker room and since it was so late, you never really saw anybody say, oh, he's back on the bench now. So I, I guess we'll find out if there's no news. I guess that's good news, right? Then it doesn't mean anything happened and he must have come back and been fine. But uh, that's just something I haven't really seen an update on yet. No, I haven't seen it either. It's it's unfortunate. The Sprong hit, uh, how'd you feel about that? I felt like it was unfortunate. I didn't see anything dirty there. Just kind of was in a bad spot and still got rubbed out along the boards. It looked like he hit his face or something, yeah. his head on the dasher there. We have, like I said, no news on him either. So I just checked everywhere for that. Um, definitely people commenting about it on Twitter, but you know, no updates from anybody who's a, uh, you know, a, a beat writer or something like that. I didn't see any news. Yeah, it, it seemed less likely for injury than Brandon Montour's because just the where Montour got hit and the way he was going into the boards and he had some speed going to it, that that one's a tough one. He also fell to the ice and was limping off. I know Sprong got up slowly, uh, but yeah, I know it just seems like I'm more worried about Montour the way he went down than, than Sprong. I, th- I I think Sprong will be okay, but again, 
I hate having to wait for these updates because of how the duck season has gone with injuries because it just feels like the worst is coming out. Like both of them are going to be out and the ducks are going to be shorthanded two guys. And you're going to see what Ben street and Andre Schuster coming to the lineup to replace Daniel Sprong and Brandon Monsoy. Uh, as shorthanded as they already are, I really, I really, really am not looking forward to that. Did uh, Did you happen to see? Speaking of um, Ben Street, maybe think of the AHL. Did you see Blandisi's goal? <laughs> A spinorama yeah. goal. That was nuts. I mean, he has that sometimes. So he, he's not like he's not like uh, Auberg, where it's like it's every other game or every three games. It's like for Blandisi, it's like once a month he'll he'll produce that. But he he has that skill there. But it's just funny to see the like the level of skill, the difference from the NHL to the AHL, because yeah. you don't see players being able to pull that kind of move off unless you're an elite level scorer in the NHL. Yeah, and Bland DC goes down there, and it's like he was playing amongst boys when he pulled that move off. It was so ridiculous, and you just never would. He, what he can't even crack an NHL lineup. It just what a what the you know. What a hell of a play by him, but it, just that gap in talent and that gap in skill that's required to play an NHL on a nightly basis is insane to me. That was a beautiful goal. If you guys haven't yeah. seen it, go look it up. He did it for the goals the other night. That was just gorgeous. Yeah, I think that's the difference. For me, the, one of the main differences is consistency. And, like, because we've seen Blandisi back when even was with the Devils and even for, for a time being. I know he hasn't played too many games with the Ducks, but... He, he has that ability sometimes if he's up for it on, on, on a nightly basis, but there's some games where he just dis- disappears, and that's why he's been sent back back down. You won't notice him at all. And, you know, he'll be given top top nine opportunities playing third line, um, and then nothing will happen. And he, had, he had some pretty big opportunities originally in New Jersey and just couldn't get it done on a regular basis. So that's why they ended up letting him go, and the Ducks ended up bringing him in, hoping that they could get that on a consistent basis, and they haven't, so... I think that's that's the main difference and you'll get guys like we've talked about Pontus Aberg who necessarily who isn't really consistent but he gets it done enough that he remains in the lineup and he'll work his way up and down the lineup because of that inconsistency but he's skilled enough that he'll find the back of the net that they'll be able to keep him up there but I think Blandisi is just a, a little step down from that yeah I mean we'll see how many how many more games he gets to play up right that's that's where he's going to be able to prove himself as the NHL level if he gets an opportunity again. Um, let's talk about your favorite part of December and the true reason why you give any shits about Boxing Day. Um, and that's because uh, the World Junior Championship starts the day after Christmas, and that's Eddie's favorite tournament. So let's talk a little bit about the news there. Um, we've had a little bit of noise coming out of Anaheim as a, a certain prospect that we loved here at the at the time when he was playing up has been tearing it up. Yeah, Maxim Comtois um, has. I think he's only played about five games in the W or the QMJHL since getting sent down. He's been per, over a point per game there, so he's been playing really well. Then he gets the call back to Team Canada to go play for them at the World Juniors. He's going to be a leader on their team this year. And they had a tune-up game, I think, three days ago now against Switzerland. And uh, he just tore them apart. I mean, it wasn't a great game for Canada. They, they barely won. They won 5-3. Uh, but Comtois had two goals, two assists. He led the yeah. team in hits. He was just just killing everybody. I mean, he was he was literally doing everything for Canada in that game. He pretty much won them the game. And uh, that's that's the type of tournament we're going to get from Maxim Comtois. He's going to be one of the most exciting guys to watch, I think, for if you're looking at Ducks prospects or even just players in general. 
Uh, he uh, he could be Canada's best player. They have a lot of older guys in the lineup. He's one of the few who has some NHL experience. I know it's only a handful of games, but yeah, he's been out there and he looked good. And now he's going back down and, and he's looking good in, in even pre-tournament as well. So he could be a candidate to lead the tournament in points if he gets on a good line and, and gets some consistency going because he's probably going to be on Canada's top line and at least on one of the, the two power play units. So I'm interested to see how he does because I know everybody wanted him to stick around and pretty much most people at least haven't seen him play since his last game either in Anaheim or in San Diego uh, because watching QMJHLs here is hard. I'm sure watching uh, games from Quebec down in the States is even harder. So it'll be a Ducks fan's first uh, taste of Maxim Comtois since he left. What about uh, the United States? How, how do you think they're they're going to fare? I know we don't have anyone playing on that on that team, but I mean, you got do you, have, do you look at guys like Oliver Wallstrom, Joel Farabee, and then obviously Jack Hughes to stand out. But uh, is that a dangerous team? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean. One thing you really need in this tournament or you, that kind of points to success is if you have one of the best players in the tournament, that generally is, is a good thing. And Jack Hughes could be the, it's, uh, the, the very the, best, the best The best player. Yeah, Just, he, yeah he could be. He, yeah. he could be the best player in the tournament. Um, last year, Sam Steele was considered to be one of the best players in the tournament for Canada. He had a great World Juniors, and Canada ended up winning gold, not just because of him, but generally when you have the best player in the tournament or one of the best players in the tournament you do well and jack hughes is, is going to be up there oliver wallstrom could be one of the top goal scorers especially if he's playing with jack hughes uh because he was he's a dangerous goal scorer and when you get a, a great playmaker in his line that's going to be interesting and like you said joel Farabee will be there and a, and a lot of young guys from their um u.s national development team system on defense a guy that the, the ducks were expected to draft and uh steve cornianos was talking about him when we did our draft preview last year was keandre miller and mm-hmm. uh, he'll be there for the for the uh for the u.s the world juniors he's dominated in the ncaa this year so he'll be a a big point getter from the blue line for them and then even in net they, again talking about the u.s national development team they've got spencer knight who's been great and is projected to be one of the top goalies in this year's draft so he'll be in that for the U.S. So they could be a really good team. I think it all lives and dies offensively through Jack Hughes, but uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, Jack Hughes with Wallstrom and Farabee is a pretty good top line. So if they could produce yeah. at any sort of level, I know we're talking to Ducks fans here who probably don't know these guys um, even as well as, as I do, and I don't know them as well as you do. So, but it's just it's good to talk about good old America over here, you know, to some Canadian kid who thinks Austin Matthews isn't that good. So uh, just had to just had to rub that in a little bit, but uh, it's going to be a fun tournament, man. Is can we watch it online? Is there a way to watch it? Do they stream all the games? Cause it's in it's in what it's in it's in Czech this year. So yeah, you like I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Like if you, a lot of people, myself included, stream games through Reddit. So like NHL games. So I'm sure somebody will be streaming World Junior games. All of them will be up there. It's a lot easier to get. There's only usually about, I think, two games on at a time, um, and there's four games in a day. So generally, you'll be able to at least watch two of the games. Uh, they'll be found somewhere online. If not, I, I would I would think for you guys, NHL Network would would play it. I don't know for sure, but I would think they would. No, um, they, they don't would, give it. They don't give a shit. They're, they'll probably show like they any don't play sort it of. All. No, they will. They'll probably show like the the gold medal game or something like that, right? Is that what they, or or the championship all the US game? Games or whatever. And, yeah, yeah, they're not. I mean, maybe they show yeah, something. Yeah, I would check online then. Yeah, I I feel like yeah, you guys will probably just get the U.S. games and then um and then the gold medal game. Um, 
here they're all on TSN. Um, all all four of them are usually generally playing at some point, uh, but you can find them online. And and just some Ducks prospects at the tournament. I don't think as many as last year. Maxim Kampfer will be one of the big ones. Then Isaac Lindstrom got loaned to Team Sweden finally. Uh, they they left it long enough to make the announcement that he was getting loaned out there, which is going to be uh, another player that could potentially be on a top line for a team for a Ducks prospect. Comtois could be on the top line for Canada, and Lindstrom is likely the top center for Sweden, which is another interesting development to watch because he's going to be given most of the offensive responsibility. Uh, when he was given that last year, when Leas Anderson was out, he played really good. And uh, he's been pretty good down in San Diego. But we're kind of looking to see if he can, when he's given the opportunity, can produce uh, that offense that we've seen from him on occasion. So that will be huge. I'm interested to see how he does. Sweden isn't as much a powerhouse as they were the last few years, but he'll be a big part of their success. Yeah, and, you know, we talked to, uh, who we talked to? Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to think of the person we talked to about about Lundestrom. Holy hell. My my mind just went blank. Yeah, yeah, mine just went blank there. So yeah, he's a highly touted prospect. It's going to be interesting to see how he plays. Um, and like you said, when he's given that kind of responsibility, we saw flashes of him being able to take control of the puck and be smart with the puck here in Anaheim. Um, he just got a lot of flack for like bringing the puck back in the defensive zone, which the, yeah. <laughs> the Ducks didn't like. They're like, hey, we're bad enough at getting the puck out of here. Why are you bringing it back <laughs> in? Like, you know we struggle with this. Don't bring the puck back in here. It's not allowed. So... He's he's a good player and he's obviously really young, so he's got a long way to go. Uh, but it's going to be fun to watch. I just looked up the uh, the schedule here. Of course, it's in Vancouver, so it looks like all the games are streaming or available on TSN, which we don't get. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the American broadcast is going to be there. But uh, I think NHL Network sometimes they just siphon TSN streams. I think. I mean, like, maybe just take it. And yes, Jimmy, I do need coffee. It is a damn early day, my friend. It is very early. <laughs> you mentioned in chat. Um, you got anything else here you want to chat about here real quick before we wrap? I mean, there wasn't a lot of team news on this trip, uh, but we didn't have any injury updates. But we do have Buffalo uh, coming tomorrow, which will be interesting. So you got anything else Anything else you want to touch on tonight? From, or from no, last night, rather? I, I think that's it. it. I mean, it was a, a pretty boring game. Uh, a couple bright spots here and there obviously josh maher's first goal but not much going on um it, it's a tough rebound game when you have to go play the sabers normally you would think god oh, whatever buffalo sabers but they've been really good this year carter hutton's been good linus allmark's been good somehow they've gotten good goaltending from a hutton, <laughs> hutton and allmark combo allmark's uh, made insane saves i've seen oh, that yeah. guy in the he, highlight reel holy hell he made a uh, save of the year candidate i think two nights ago against donato just, right against boston with yeah. that glove Oh, Jesus. Yeah, an unbelievable effort from him. Um, somehow that's been going well for them. Rasmus Dallin has finally started to pick it up, and he's been great lately. And then Jeff Skinner, uh, 25 goals, I think, on the year for him so far. Um, funny thing enough is is the Sabres just uh, terminated, mutually agreed to terminate Patrick Berglund's contract because he didn't want to show up. Or I feel like they're saying, eh, don't show up because we're not going to play you. Because they want to be able to get that money off, that $3 million off their cap hit, which they have now because he cleared waivers yesterday, so they can re-sign Jeff Skinner. Because they don't want to lose him the way he's been playing with Jack Eichel. Do you really think that's what they did? They told him, like, you can come, but we're not going to play you? I, I don't 
want to say because I don't know for sure. Because I would just stick it to him. I'm like, you owe me $10 million. I'm not going to light my money on fire. Like, why would he do that? But why would you not want to play? Like, like, look how the Sabres are playing. Like, they're not a bad team. Why would you not want to go play? They probably said if you come play, we're going to either barely play you, not play you, or play you on the fourth line. And he feels like he's better than that. I, I can see it being that. And then the Sabres just don't care because if they can agree to merge, mutually terminate his contract, they get out of that cap hit. It's the I think it's about over $2 million for the rest of this year, and then it's over $3 million for the next three years that they just wipe off their books. That's enough money right there to get Jeff Skinner signed to a new deal. They don't have to worry about infringing on, on any money they're going to use in the future for guys like Middlestat and Dalene. Mm-hmm. It's huge for them. It's huge for them in being able to get Jeff Skinner back. His rumors are that he's going to want somewhere around seven million. If he hits 40, 30, he's going to hit close to forty goals this year, or more, or more. Uh, if he hits forty, he he's, he can ask for whatever he wants. Uh, do you think they're for real, or is this the Say team like, this year that we everyone looks at? They're like, holy hell, this team's amazing, and then you look at it and you're like, huh, why? Or is it like, wow, they're no, they're really good. And there's a reason why. I, I think I think they're for real. I don't think they're a contender. That um, Colton is going to catch up after. with them. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. They've, they've slowed down after, what was it, a 10-game winning streak or something like that that they had early on. They've slowed down a bit, but they're still a good team. They're still a better than, team than people expect. It's going to be tough to get anywhere in the top three uh, by season's end in that division when you look at the fact that Toronto and Tampa are going to take probably the top two spots. And then... Boston's going to be around there as well. It's really going to be tough for Buffalo to, to stick around there. They could get a wild card spot. I could I could still see them making the playoffs. Um, and and I think they're for real in the sense that you know if they can re-sign Jeff Skinner, Jack Eichel and him have formed a really good partnership. They're going to be really good for the next few years as long as they they stick together and play together. They have a lot of young players in their lineup, guys like Reinhardt as well. Middlestat, if he he hasn't even played well this year, so wait for him to actually get comfortable. Maybe next year with uh, with Reinhardt, Sam Reinhardt as well. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin, he's only going to get better season in, season out. The question for me is, is this a, a year where the goaltending is just playing really, really good? And then next year, after the Sabres have their long run, is Carter Hodden and Linus Allmark going to be as good as they were this year? Um, that's the big thing. Yeah, and looking at their cap space right now, I up cap, uh, cap friendly. Pominville comes off the books at the end of this year. That's five point six million. So I don't think it's a money issue. It's it's no. a strange thing going on between Patrick Berglund and the Buffalo Sabers because I would want to be on this team. This team is going to go to the playoffs. I, I mean, Likely, unless something yeah. disastrous happens, they're going to go to the playoffs. And they have all the money right now to sign Jeff Skinner. And why wouldn't he sign? He's having the time of his life right now. Um, yeah. Unless unless. He's like, yeah, I don't want to win here. I don't want to, you know, th- I don't think we can win here. I think we're going to have a great run, but I'd rather be, you know, off to a contender next year and make seven to eight million dollars because th- no one is going to um, be able to offer him less than seven or eight. He's going to get paid stupid money, like yeah. absolutely stupid money. He is. But, but to be fair, like he, he's pretty close to deserving it, right? I mean, 330 goal seasons in his career, uh, he, every season except two. He's had over 20, and one of them was a, f- a shortened 42-game uh, season. So he is a consistent 20-goal threat who has 30-goal potential. He's likely going to pa- get career highs in everything this year. 
He's got 25 goals in 35 games. His yeah. career high is 37 two years ago. I would bet money he'll pass that. He only needs 12 in the, in the remaining games of the season. If he's playing with Jack Eichel, he's going to pass that for sure. He's got 12 assists. His career high is 32 in his in his rookie year. Might not pass that, but he's going to be 60 points. He's probably going to be 40 goals. He's worth it. He's worth the money. He's a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Sabres, I think, right now, they're gearing up to be a very good team for a long time. They're going to be competing, I think, with Tampa Bay and Toronto in that division for the next four to five years. They're going to be one of the better teams. If they, if they have can, goaltending. If they have goaltending. So if Carter Hutton is good, if they've got uh, Ukapeka Lukanen in the minors with Sudbury, who is a very good goaltender, but... He's probably two or three. Ah, way, to, anyway. way to plug your local team there, bud. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it all depends. It all it all depends. And and you know, they, if they want to go big and they can gear up and try and somehow lure uh, hometown boy Patrick Kane from the Chicago Blackhawks. Imagine oh, like, Eichel, Skinner, and Patrick Kane playing together. Eichel and Kane are making twenty million dollars combined. They'd have to figure something out with yeah. salary retention. You oh, know? for sure. But yeah. that would be enough to, I think, you know, adding that type of player to their team would be enough to push them over the top, goaltending or not. Yeah, no, I agree, man. I mean, they have they have the, uh, some good pieces. I just want to see a goaltender come here that's going to stay and play really well. You know, that that's going to be the big yeah. difference maker for Buffalo because once Carter Hutton's, um, once his skill is being shown as not a starter, that's when you're going to yeah. see the fall off. There's a reason he's been a career backup. He's 33 years old. If he was a starter, yeah, we would have seen exactly. it a long time ago. So Buffalo's got to figure something out in net. But uh, I think right now they're just enjoying the ride, and we'll have to see where it goes for them. But uh, they're a fun team to watch. It's just, damn it, I hope they have an off game tomorrow night and the Ducks are able to capitalize on that, you know? <laughs> yeah, I really hope so because we're, prob- we're probably going to see Allmark, right, you would think? You think Hutton gets the start against Washington, and then we probably see Linus Allmark, which, I mean, right now it doesn't really matter. They're pretty equal in terms of their play. Um, it seems like the Sabres play better in front of Allmark. He's got seven wins, one regulation loss, and three overtime losses. Uh, his save percentage and goals against average are less than Carter Hutton, but they just seem to be able to pick up wins in front of him. Carter Hutton's record isn't bad either. It's 13, uh, 13-19-2, which isn't bad at all. But uh, maybe it's better to get Hutton? I don't know. We saw Hutton when we were down in, uh, in the, for the Korea game, right? And and Hutton looked pretty good in that game. Mm-hmm. For, for yeah, the Sabres. no, he so, did. At this point, at this point, I don't think it really matters who they face in that. I'm just hoping that the Sabres are tired uh, after playing Washington the night before. Yeah, I mean Buffalo's got or uh, yeah Buffalo. Um, his save percentage right now with Carter Hutton is a nine one seven. That's backup quality, right? So the Ducks can score. Yeah. The problem is going to be, are they going to be able to prevent Buffalo? <laughs> <laughs> from lighting them yeah, up I, that's the well, scary side of those things jack so. eichel and and jeff skinner because in his last five games skinner has five goals and two assists so yeah. you got to stop that yeah. and then you've also got to stop jack eichel who's been scoring goals because he also has five goals in his last five games to go along with five assists so he's at two points per game in his last five games 10 points you got to stop that that's what's coming into uh for that's what's going to be going against anaheim in a couple days I guess the only thing you're hoping for is that you're you're happy that it's on a back-to-back after playing Washington. You're just going to hope that they're going to be tired and not be able to get a, get going for a full 60 minutes. Yeah, you'd have to hope so. But, I mean, we saw the Ducks last night when they had a day off uh, and they had to come into an injured Boston arena. So what what's your prediction? Let's wrap up with that. Um, 
let's let's not extend this too much longer. What do we what do we got? Do you have a win tomorrow night in Buffalo? I I'm gonna say yes, just because wow. I feel like it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a tough game for the Sabres against Washington. It, it's gonna be a physical grinding game. They're gonna be tired. It, it's travel too because it's in Washington, and and I know it's not far, but still they got to go from Washington to Buffalo uh, for the ne- the game the next day. And um, I, I think they're just going to be a little bit tired. If the Ducks can avoid getting they jumped on early, and then I think they're going to be able to pull it out. John Gibson's likely going to get the start, so I think that's going to be a huge advantage for them. Not a huge win, but a tight one. Let's see what happens, man. That's going to be a goodie. I don't think the Ducks have enough to pull it off to prevent that line. That's like saying you're going to shut down Alexander Ovechkin, right? And the Ducks beat yeah. the Capitals, but it wasn't a tight game. It was 6-5 for crying out loud, and it was all third period. So the Ducks can score. Andre Kasha can score, but I feel like Buffalo is a lot more to worry about uh, for the Ducks than the Ducks are for Buffalo. So we'll see how that goes. That is it for us this morning. Uh, It's bright and early here. Thank you, anybody and everybody who tuned in this early. I I know that uh, Jimmy and Baybolts, of course, have popped in on our chat. We love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, By the way, all the pucks have been shipped because it's busy as hell. I shipped them off this week. Uh, They will be there after Christmas, unfortunately, but... They will be there in time for our Pucks and Brews bonus show, which is scheduled for December 29th. So all you Patreon peeps who've been helping us out, uh, you're getting your your uh, drinking show. We're going to make sure Eddie has some damn beer in his house uh, next Saturday. So if you guys want to tune I in will, for I that, we should have a private stream up so we can all hang out together and, and, uh, and drink and have some fun on the show. But uh, let's look forward to a Ducks game tomorrow night that's competitive and one that we can hope that they can pull out a victory there in Buffalo. Uh, We'll talk to you guys then. Have a great one. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.